0: scripture which by the way is one of James's sharpest rebukes in all of his epistle. Now if you're like me you're thinking well we've had some pretty sharp rebukes in this this book of the Bible. He is so directly at task Uh, but this is probably one of the most stinging of them and we're grateful for that because it moves us back to rightly understand and think and apply God's word as we determined to live in the blessings of it. So we're in James chapter 5. We're talking about when wealth is costly, how wealth might cost us. According to Jesus, there is nothing that reveals the essence of our heart more than our words and the way we use money. And he really elevates those two concepts to reveal our heart. Now if you remember, James is taking many of those teachings and he's not just looking for an affirmation from our mouths a profession or a confession of our faith he's saying hey with the profession of faith that you have let's look at your life and see if your life measures against that which you profess and there are a series of tests that he's giving us throughout the epistle which we have been taking along the way and there have been some that we've recognized hey we probably need to be thinking differently and thereby Uh, living out the values differently and it's sort of shaped us up if you will in that we might be followers of God's word and then other times uh, we've been affirmed in that but what we've recognized throughout James's writing is that God is not asking us to do better God is asking us to die to self and let him give us a new heart and with this newness of life that is given to us in Christ we can walk in a new way that is empowered by his spirit and certainly directed by his word Jesus gives us a couple of teachings talking about the nature of our words and the use of money here's one of them coming up on the screen it's from Matthew chapter or excuse me Luke chapter 6 and then Matthew the sixth chapter as well the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks So we've read this passage over the last few weeks, a time or two, just recognizing that our words are really coming from the source, and the source is our heart. So Jesus is not asking us to clean up our potty mouth. What he's asking us to do is to die to self, be given a new heart, and out of the new heart comes an expression of words that are different. So this abundance of our heart is revealing uh, through our mouth. So Jesus says the mouth, the words that we use, really do identify our heart. And then he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he's talking in this text about money and possessions material goods temporary things and he's saying that which you identify with is your treasure is going to be revealing your heart so words and money are a revelation of the heart now remember James is impacted in multiple ways but primarily two he's impacted by the sermon on the mount which I believe that he heard his brother teach and he's impacted by the wisdom sections of the Hebrew scriptures the old testament of Christ And those two things are impacting him such that they are so clearly revealed in this epistle. So James is taking those same two realities that the heart is given to words and the heart is expressed through the way we manage money and manage possessions. He's taking those principles and he's applying them to his book. So the passage today is really a scathing rebuke to people who are somehow associated with The church maybe they claim to be of christ and he's calling them to be one in the way of christ in association with what they're worshiping are they worshiping god or they worship money and possession is it evident that money has a hold on them rather than god having a hold on them is there confidence in god or is there confidence in money and he's going to elevate those principles in verse chapter uh, five verses one through six And those are very directed, poignant verses, if you will. In this passage, he's forcing us to consider the evidences of our heart in relation to how we manage money or how we think about money. Now, if you're sighing, thinking, well, Randy's not talking about me today. James is not talking about me because I'm not a wealthy individual, don't have a lot of money. Well, we need to identify what wealth is. Wealth is anything over that which is... Uh, giving you substance for life Uh, you have to have food you have to have clothing and God promises those two things to you that he cares for you uh, like the lilies of the field he'll adorn you Uh, like the birds of the air he'll watch after you he'll provide for you and so he's going to give those things to you anything beyond that is wealth some of us have a great measure of that some of us not so much a great measure of that but we'll identify that as being wealth. So wealth doesn't mean you're a business owner and you employ a lot of businesses. And as James is gonna say in chapter five today, the way you deal with those people in your business reveals your heart. It could be that maybe you don't own a business. Maybe you don't have employees that are looking to you. Maybe you're you're not concerned with the way you treat other people in that regard. But maybe you do have somebody that cuts your lawn and you pay them to do the yard work. Maybe you do go to a restaurant and you leave a tip after you leave for the person who has served you that day. I think what James is saying is the way you manage that, the way you think about people in relation to money, the way you're um, holding on to or you're giving graciously of reveals your heart. We could come down to the essence of this, that we know that the words of the law and the words of the prophets sort of hang right here, love God and love others right I mean I've condensed it even further than what Jesus did Jesus said love your Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength love your neighbor as yourself we'll just condense that to the essence of the scripture is to love God and love other people is it evident by the way you manage and think about money that you love God and you love people and that's what really James is bringing to the forefront here Now, I'm gonna split this in two. I mentioned to you, I was actually eating my granola this morning, which I do every morning, thanks to my wife for making it and having a good strong cup of coffee along with that i'm just reviewing my notes and i thought there's no way i can teach all this in one sunday and you're going to be glad that i've made that decision today (laughs) so i'm going to split it in two and we'll actually look into the beginnings of chapter five but i'm going to build a a foundation which we can build on one that that we can read the text and understand it with clarity because we're seeing the totality of the um the subject i shouldn't say that we're looking at the totality of this but we're attempting to look at the totality of it and the first things that i want us to be reminded of are just three truths because he's going to hit us pretty hard in regards to money and finances so let's just knock out some truths that we just need to make sure we know before we jump into james chapter 5 and then it's from the scripture we can know that wealth itself is not sinful so once i start teaching in james chapter 5 verses 1 through 6 and you sort of think well oh, maybe God is anti-wealth God is not anti-wealth and if you are wealthy God does not see your wealth as sin now it could be that the way you think about it the way you manage it or the way you hold on to it maybe that is sinful but wealth in and of itself is not sinful in fact some of the greatest faith people of the scripture that are our heroes of faith they were incredibly wealthy people we I mean, look at Abraham Isaac Jacob you go back and look at David Solomon Uh, You could go through a number of people. Uh, You could go all the way into the New Testament and look at some of the people there and see Joseph of Arimathea or Lydia, others. Those are people of great faith that God had given great wealth to, and they were not acting in sin in their attitude towards those wealth. Majority of them were not. Sometimes they struggled with it. And oftentimes they used their wealth in ways that was good. So wealth in and of itself is not sinful. I don't want you to think that. Uh, that is not the case it's it's as if in western christendom today you're going to come in the pendulum is going to swing one way one way is way out there that says that god wants everybody to be wealthy and then the other side of the pendulum is uh, god thinks that all wealth is sinful no (laughs) neither one of those are true Uh, wealth in and of itself is not sinful secondly wealth can be a result of god's empowerment in your life now again you can swing way out there and you can say God brings wealth to you and God wants everybody to be wealthy God does not want everybody to be wealthy case in point the followers of Jesus Christ were not wealthy individuals one or two of them started out that way but they didn't stay that way like Jesus they didn't have a home Uh, they didn't own a lot of possession Uh, they were following him and so we recognize that God is not blessing everybody to be wealthy, but if you have wealth, you can count on that as being something that God has entrusted to you, something that God has empowered you to have. Now here's a passage out of Deuteronomy. It's written specifically to the people of Israel, and just because something is written to the people of Israel does not mean that that gets transferred to us. We recognize that, right? That sometimes he's writing specifically to his people in their time. Uh, and I think this is a good passage for us to recognize that. For here they're about to move into the promised land and as they're into moving into the land he says beware lest you say in your heart my power and my and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth so god is moving them into a land that is wealthy he's moving them into a land that is prosperous it's a land as he says is flowing with milk and honey that's that's a modern way for them to say they had it going on right but you and i need to be reminded that this land of israel is a really uh for lack of a better word a fickle land what do i mean by that it requires the unique blessing of god god said of the people of this land it will be requiring of me to interact with you and bless the land in fact the way it works god provides rain and that rain comes into the mountainous regions starts flowing either from the the jordan river or flowing into the sea of galilee and that pools for the rest of the country the main vein of water that goes throughout it the tributaries are all and even the under aqua uh, aqua i don't forget what that's called the the aqua systems underneath the ground all of that is dependent upon the mountainous rains and here's what god said to the people i'm going to bring you into this land and if you will serve me and you will worship me alone i will make that land prosperous and if you don't if you serve other gods and you are not faithful to me you remember what he said i'll close up the windows of heaven i'll close up so the clouds don't bring the rain now when it is flourishing it's by god's grace it's by god's goodness and it that central section around the jordan valley that that wondrous valley becomes like the breadbasket of not just israel but for much of the region in fact you and i have the bounty of god's grace through israel when you and i put olive oil in on our food or we cook with it much of that comes out of israel but anyway he says you need to remember that it's by my power and by my might not yours i'm the one that's providing this you shall remember the lord your god for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may uh, confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day so to Israel he says don't think that your wealth is by your own hand your wealth is by my care and by my empowerment that I have given to you so many times those of us who have resources we might think oh I'm a self-made man or I'm a self-made woman or it's hard work and hard discipline it's it's uh, scrimping and saving it's it's that that's provided this and god just says whoa time out you need to recognize that my grace is evident <laughs> and that i have empowered you to have that and i'm entrusting it to you so not all wealth is sinful we we understand that and all wealth can be a result of the empowerment of god number three wealth provides opportunities beyond ourselves so Wealth is meant to be not just for our own management and for our own good, but for the good beyond us. And i just move through these fairly quickly. They're for you in your handout. I'm gonna go through them in a little bit more exhaustive way uh, this morning, and and that'll set us up well for next week. How does it go beyond us? How How do we have wealth with the right attitude and bless beyond us? Number one, we serve and honor the Lord with it now if you've been in church life much you recognize that many a preacher will communicate out of malachi chapter 3 specifically verse 10 when when he is talking about giving and tithing and that's that's okay to do but we need to recognize malachi was not written for you and me specifically as much as it was written for israel It was written to a group of people that God said, I want you to bring a tenth, which is what the tithe is, I want you to bring a tenth in and this is the way that the theocracy will be funded. This is the way that all my temple and the worship and all the inner workings of the country will be funded. Anybody up for a 10% tax? (laughs) It was good enough for God's people and that's what God imposed in the theocracy, but now many of people here might pay 25 to 40 percent of your income in tax that's not the way God did it but anyway God says to them will man rob God yet you are robbing me but you say how have we robbed you in your 10 percent in your tithes and your contributions he says verse 9 you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me the whole nation of you bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house then look at the next part of this and thereby put me to the test says the lord of hosts if i will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more uh, needed so again uh, you got to be careful because this is a specific passage to a specific people at a specific time but there are principles here that we can see and the principles are you and i in our giving can honor god we can serve him and honor him the principle is not to mandate 10 percent to the church right so you and i have been released from that it was never meant for you and me to give 10 percent what god wants is you and me to understand that everything belongs to him So the 10% is is not given to the church today that was given to Israel. That's a place that we start. Kay and I start off our giving at 10%. And that's not even biblical mandated, biblically mandated. It's just a practice for us because we do better in our finances when we write 10% right off the top. We do better with that exercise when we recognize, Lord, I manage the other 90% better when the first 10% gets uh, directed towards you it just manages better and then we give beyond that to the building fund into missions and other things that we have going on and uh, christian education and some other things that we want to fund but at any rate you and i can recognize from malachi 3 8 through 10 that we can serve and honor the lord with the attitudes of our giving towards him but it's not just that the new testament nowhere designates a percentage of income a person should set aside but only says that gifts should be in keeping with income so sometimes 10% might be a real stretch God's okay with that if you're living in a way that is a good manager a good steward is the Bible word and 10% is a stretch for you God knows that God gave you the provision that he has given to you sometimes 10% would be far too little based on the provision that god has provided so the new testament church for you and me god doesn't give us a percentage he just says let it be in keeping with your income in fact the practice is as second uh, corinthians 9 says each one ought to decide in his own heart not under compulsion not because i'm requiring it of you desire des, uh, you have a desire in your own heart for your love for god be a cheerful giver so there's the mandate for us sure give let it be based on the income that god has entrusted to you don't do it out of compulsion be cheerful in it as you are serving and honoring god so we want to recognize first and foremost that it can be beyond us and it can be a way to serve and honor god secondly it helps people in need Uh, when we recognize that God has entrusted to us wisdom and income and possessions and we see it as a way to meet other people's needs it's really a good thing as for the rich in this present age Paul says to Timothy they are to do good to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasures for themselves as good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life so, they're recognizing that life is not found in the money, it's not found in the possessions. Life is found in the goodness of God, and it's demonstrated in us sharing the needs for other people. And it goes on to say that we can give beyond ourselves or have wealth beyond ourselves when we give inheritance to our family. In the first service, my parents were in the room, and I was saying, Amen to the fact that parents give an inheritance to their children. And in the same service, my middle son, who's singing today, would say amen to the fact that parents give inheritance to their children. And the idea is that this is the way it should be, that we ought to be recognizing all that I have is not just for me, but it's for others. It's for God, it's for others, and family is the the place that that gets exercised first and inheritance. But money beyond me and wealth beyond me can win the lost. The way the scripture says in luke 16 we can use resources in a way that we make eternal friends and if i were going to summarize that that is we would use resources in a way that build the gospel around the world communicate the gospel around the world so that people come to faith in jesus christ and we're using resources in a way that shares the word of god with other people one of the joys that we have as a church is that we have deposited thousands upon thousands of Bibles around the world. And with great confidence, we can send that word out knowing that it doesn't return to the Lord in vain. It comes back in fullness that God intended it to be. So we win the loss by giving beyond ourselves, And then we support the work of the people of God's church. So we're talking about wealth and how that wealth could be greater than just for us, but beyond ourselves. And in this, we support the work of the church. Now, look at this next passage that's coming up on the screen. This is a wondrous, uh, grace-filled church, this church in Macedonia. Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, they were afflicted. The churches of Antioch were afflicted. But yet their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part now there's some words that just don't go together in this verse and when you think about extreme poverty and affliction that doesn't seem to go together with abundance and overflow so obviously here's a group of people that saw the provision of God as wealth anything beyond food and anything beyond clothing is wealth and they were eagerly generous they were wanting to share that with those people those other saints of god who were greater afflicted and in greater more extreme poverty now who are those people Uh, the people in jerusalem by and large who were jewish but had come to recognize jesus as messiah and as they are messianic their businesses are turned away people are not going to do business with them and their families turn them out Their families don't want to have anything to do with them and the means by which they used to live are now gone and the churches in macedonia who are significantly effective financially have a desire to make an impact on those churches and those people of faith and they give in fact he says for they gave according to their means as i can testify beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So you see the order here. Their heart was given to God. Their heart was given to the mission of God, the people of God, and the churches of God. And it proved out in the evidence that they gave beyond themselves with their wealth to those who are in need and finally all that together we could probably put other points in but we're talking about beyond ourselves in this life is we're storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven so the thing that I dislike most about the prosperity gospel that God wants everybody to be rich and if you'll just have enough faith it'll be provided to you if you'll give this God will multiply it this time's over the thing I dislike the most about that is is that it discounts the glory of the treasures of heaven. And it takes away that which is the treasure of heaven, which is eternal, and exchanges it for something that is temporary, which, by the way, God reminds us through the Scripture over and over, will burn away in the end. What a dastardly lie that is to say that God wants you to have and hold and possess most importantly that which is going to burn away and remove from the land that's ridiculous isn't it so in understanding the fullness of that we say oh god let us not have the treasure of that which is going to burn away let us treasure that which is going to be forever use that which is temporary to bring about in in greater benefit that which is eternal greater blessing that which is eternal so regarding wealth we should prepare to answer before God these three questions. Again, we're just building a platform. Before we even get into James 5, we're just building a platform by which we can stand on. In an extra biblical way, I just want to think through this. God has not identified questions that he's going to ask us in heaven. All right, when you're standing before Jesus, God is not going to say, "Now tell me why I should let you into my heaven." But the principle of that question is very important for us to know. And the three things that I think we ought to, in principle, be able to answer to God regarding the, the money and the wealth that is entrusted to us is this. Number one, what if God asked us, how did you gain your wealth? I was we standing before God and you know, wealth is no more. When you're standing before the creator of everything, who sustains everything, who owns everything, what is our measly wealth? but it was that which was entrusted to us to manage to hold and give back, right? In the end, where I'm giving it all back. In the end, you and I are both giving it all back. So if we stood before him and he asked us, now tell me how you gained the wealth that you had on earth. What would be our response? Did you gain it honestly? Did you gain it fairly Did you gain it with regard to others? How did you treat others in the midst of your gaining wealth? Now you say, Randy, why are you asking that? Because that's where James is going to come to. James is going to ask that kind of question. He's not going to do it straight out, but he's going to speak about people who failed to ask that kind of question in their life. And the evidence of it is in the end, their money testifies against them the people that they were associated with who should have been paid by them who did not get paid by them they cry out against them so if they had asked early on if god asked me how i'm gaining my wealth what would i be able to respond to him truthfully that would have helped them in the position that they're in secondly i think we ought to ask ourselves as if God is asking us, what is your attitude about it? What's the attitude about the money, the wealth, and the possessions that you have? With possessing wealth, we tend to have have a power to possess it, but really, it has power to possess us. We're tempted to love it, aren't we? We're tempted to hoard it. We're tempted to keep it, to serve it. So money and possessions can be powerfully controlling over us. I think what the Lord would ask is, did you understand that wealth is entrusted to you by me and that it reveals your heart of love for me and others or your lack thereof? So how did you gain it? What was your attitude about it? And then he's going to ask particularly, how did you use it? In your life on earth, how did you use it? Did you use it as a primary way that was self-serving or is there evidence that your money and possession Was a love directed towards God and others? Is it evident that you honored the great command of God to love Him above all things and love others as you love yourself? Is it evident in your money and wealth and possession that you loved God and loved others? So, how did you get it? What was your attitude about it? And how did you use it? Johnny Hunt, who was once the uh, famed pastor there in Woodstock, Georgia, said of Christian wealth, we must. Uh, note that his wealth must be gained honestly or her wealth must be guarded loosely and he or she ought to give it selflessly to christ now with that in mind let me just read the first six verses of james 5 come now you rich weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now, just quickly, I want to point out verse 1, make a couple of comments, and then we'll finish up our time. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Let me just break this down in phrases. First of all, come now. When you and I have riches or we have wealth, we have possession, they have a tendency to draw us to attend to them constantly, to look at them, to hold them, to treasure them, to protect them, to serve them, to keep them up. It's like the, the more temporary stuff we have, the more our focus gets there and gets drawn off of that which is eternal, which is the author and the finisher of our faith. So that's what we're supposed to be looking towards, the eastern sky, which Jesus will return again, looking towards that day when we will cross the finish line, entering into the kingdom of God in a very physical way, entering into that place where judgment will occur. Our focus is to be there, but when we have stuff, when we have the iPhone. We tend to look at it all the time. When you have the new trinket, you tend to play with it all the time. When you have the vacation, you tend to long for another one. You can't wait to get those Disney bands again. Uh, It's calling to you constantly. When you have the new house, you want more stuff in your new house. Does that make sense? It just tends to make us look to it and stare at it and concentrate on it and be completely centered on it. And what James is saying, this is like a snap or a clap to get the person to look away from that. It's got your attention here, and James is saying, come now, look over here. Get your eyes off of that. Get your heart off of that which is temporary. Get your eyes off of that which is going to burn away. Come now, and let's think about that which is eternal. And what is eternal is the weeping and the howling. That's an interesting word that he's using here. By the way, this is the only time in the New Testament that this word is ever used. So anytime that happens, it's a standout moment. It's a moment to say God had something very specific that he was saying, and we ought to attend to that. But this this idea of weeping is, is a deep sobbing. I remember walking into the home of a friend of ours whose daughter died not far down the road from here in a car crash. And as she was broadsided by a truck, she was killed instantly. And I remember going to her home after hearing that news, and I walked in the front door, and I could hear it before I even got into the front door, the wailing, the deep sobbing. Some of you know exactly the experience of that moment where you have deep anguish in you. It could be A death of a loved one it could be the the loss of something significant it could be the deep sorrow that you sense over sin in your life and it has brought at some point in your life you've experienced that deep anguish words are not needed you know exactly from that guttural sound that somebody is in great anguish that's the word that he's using here He's drawing their attention. Come now, you're looking at that which is temporary, that which is going to be burned away. But in the end, your riches are going to cause you to have deep anguish when you stand before the God of the universe. When you stand before him and give a judgment to your heart condition, which has been evidenced by the way you used wealth, you will weep. And howl is a screeching, it's a screaming, it's an uninhibited voice to that deep pain and realization that everything in your life has been bent towards riches and experiences that are temporary and now burned away. And what stands before you is the eternal God who is the judge of And he is just, and every sin is paid for. And what he has heard is the people you have cheated, he has heard their cries, and he's asking you about that. And what he knows is the money that is in your accounts that should have been dispersed to the mowers of the field, the money itself is crying out to him. It is testifying against your life and in that moment the weeping and the screeching the howling of the miseries that are to come when those sin have to be paid for for all eternity james is saying you who might be connected to the church in some way who might have a title of christian in some way you who reveal a different heart By the way you use money and wealth and possessions you need to get your attention off that which is temporary and recognize the miseries to come unless your heart is transformed now that's not a pick yourself up by the bootstrap get your life in order kind of message is it that's an oh god i'm in need of mercy kind of message this isn't about you and me having better finances about us doing things better being more generous more giving this is about us saying oh god the way i use money reveals the deadness of my heart reveals the utter sinfulness of my heart The way I've thought about wealth and possession has revealed that my love is greater for stuff than it is you. That my God has been stuff and not you. My worship has been stuff and not you. And oh God, I need your mercy. That's what James is calling him to. Genuine faith, not just a claim of faith. And he's at this point showing the way you think about and manage your money Reveals a heart whether it is transformed by Christ or not transformed by Christ. That's his primary message. Now, that doesn't mean that those of us who are in faith can't learn from that. We can learn from that by saying, God, you took me away from that. You rescued me from that life. Why do I have a tendency to go back there? Why do I have a tendency to think as the world thinks when you gave me the mind of Christ? So he's really drawing them to think about it differently. And isn't that the way Jesus did it as well? And These words almost match verbatim in James what Jesus had taught. Jesus said, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are now full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Those are the words of Jesus. And they are the words of his brother, James. They are the words of the Spirit of God to us today. Now, illustrate this point. Jesus one time gave a, a a parable, a story that illustrated the truth. He talked about a man named Lazarus who is incredibly rich. And man, did he ever eat like a king. But outside of his gate, of his estate, sat a poor man. And this man was in deep need He had open wounds in which the dogs would even come and lick. And he longed for the scraps, just the crumbs, from the table of the rich man. But the rich man's heart was not given to him or anyone else. They both died. And in the parable, the poor man is at the bosom of Abraham. And the rich man who once had it all is in Hades in anguish and in torment and he longs for some relief from the one that he had rejected to give relief to all the years of his life he longs for relief from him and if you can't have relief from him maybe he can go and he can testify to his family you do not want to come here remember what Jesus says oh the chasm is too great The divide too broad. There's no way for one to pass from one place to the other. In other words, the time to make those kind of decisions is now, before eternity is realized. It's now. And that's what James is calling us to do. He's calling us to make the decision now. So if your focus is on money and possessions rather than the God and His glory and His kingdom then you need to recognize, like Lazarus and that poor man, the tables are going to turn one day and eternity is going to be set. You might be eating high on the hog right now, but my friends, the table is going to turn and eternity is going to be set. And James is calling us to that kind of reminder. Riches and possessions are going to fail you. We won't need a safety deposit box in heaven, will all that which we have treasured and put aside means nothing in the day of eternity. Our savings, our investments, our possessions, they will all leave us penniless in the economy of heaven. And James is saying, you better recognize that today. Money is leaving a solid trail of evidence. And if you have used it in ways that it's against God, the money is crying out against you its testimony. It's a solid trail of evidence and the people that you have hurt and wounded along the way their voice is crying out to god and god is listening this is a great discovery in this moment god let my life be given to you change my attitude change the way i view things change my heart There's other places in the Bible when the opposite is true that our money can communicate the positive works of being a saint of God where we make investment with money and possessions to build up eternal deposits in heaven where money and possessions can be a life character witness for those who are in Christ and Christ will then reward them faithfully. The question is have you determined that in which life you'll choose to live? You can live the life in pursuit of Christ by denying yourself taking up your cross and following after him and he will put you on a new path you know what James is coming down to is this question what are you treasuring most in life if you're treasuring the temporary you're treasuring the wrong thing do you treasure Jesus over the treasures of this world is it evident is it evident that you treasure Him above all, that you give glory to Him above all, that you serve Him above all, that you invest in Him above all, His ways and His life? James is going to beckon to us in this passage. Would you rather have Jesus than anything else? Is it evident that your heart is transformed because you would rather yield your heart to Jesus above anything else? Is it, evident that you would treasure Jesus above all things? And if not, would you come to discover the treasure who Jesus is? Would you come to discover the treasure of eternal life in Him and the joy of being in His presence forever? Would you discover the wonder of being in Christ and Christ in you. Let's pray together. Father, in this moment I pray that the discovery of Christ would be so present. The discovery of Christ and his holiness and his righteousness and his surrender unto your will. That he would come and die in our stead, paying the cost of our sin, bearing the weight of our sin as the substitute for the justice that is required of all sinners and upon recognizing his love for us we would yield our life to him and we would treasure him and lift him above all things we wouldn't put our focus on anything that is temporary in place of him but our focus would be on jesus he's the author and he's the finisher of our faith and our hope would be found in him not in health not in any possession or any money or wealth And in that, Lord, that we would treasure him above all things, choosing him above all things. Lord, help us in our weakness. Help us in our faith to one Jesus above all things else. This I pray in the name of the one who has provided our salvation and our inheritance. Amen.